Are you a moderate? Now, not many of us would say yes to that question, because when it comes to politics, uh, the, the moderate is almost an extinct species. You're either a conservative, you're a liberal, maybe a libertarian, but few politicians are going to advertise in the next several weeks and months, hey, vote for me, I'm a moderate. You know, it's not going to happen. Question is, uh, would you call yourself, or might others label you as a, a moderate Christian? What do you think? Wilbur Reese describes it this way. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a warm cup of, coffee, of milk, rather. <laughs> or, or a snooze in the sunshine. I want a pound of eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Now, the moderate Christian has a moderate Christ who makes moderate demands. And he's one who sort of keeps Jesus at an arm's length because he wouldn't want this religious thing to get out of hand, would he? You know, rich people are especially susceptible to becoming moderate. Moderate Christians, especially. And that's exactly what happened to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. But it also happens to churches right here in Lower Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Speaking of Revelation, beginning next week, Dave is going to take us on a journey through this intriguing last book of the New Testament. And I just want the small group leaders to be, to be aware that the sermon-based small group questions are going to be online. Your groups can go online to the GP website, and every Friday they're going to be there for Sunday's message, so you can think ahead. And also, when you came in this morning um, into the commons and you took your seat, you likely uh, saw this red card, in, invite card, sitting on your seat. If you, if you didn't, then you're probably sitting on it right now. So you might want to just pull it out and, and take a look at it. Um, that's for you to use to invite someone this next week to come to the Revelation study that we're going to have for several weeks, uh, beginning next week. So use that and invite someone. Now, if you're visiting with us here this morning... I want to clue you in that today is the third in a three-part series called uh, Longing for Belonging. We first considered that we as believers belong to Christ. And then we looked at the fact that we all belong to a family, something bigger than ourselves, a, a family. But now today we're going to be opening up that circle even further, and not only considering we're, we belong to Christ, we belong to a family, but we also belong to a movement a movement. What is a movement? Um, it, it is a, by definition, it is a group of people working together to advance their shared ideas. And so today, what I want to do is to consider the movement called the church and what are some of our shared ideas. And thirdly, how does moderation stand in the way of advancing them? So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. It's page 1061 in the white Bible on the seat near you. If you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to take that Bible home with you. And then you have a Bible at home that you can read and understand. Page 1061, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Now, let me give you a little background of 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts that are given to every believer in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift. There are many gifts. People have different gifts. Some people have more than one gift. And one gift is not superior than to another. But all spiritual gifts come from the same Holy Spirit. And the purpose is for all of them to build up Christ's body, the church. But here in Corinth, instead of building up and unifying the Corinthian church, the issue of spiritual gifts was actually tearing it apart. Spiritual gifts were being used as symbols of power and elitism. And it was causing rivalries among some of the people in the church who felt that their spiritual gift made them more spiritual than others who had a different gift. So this was, this was a terrible misuse of spiritual gifts because their purpose is always in the church to, to build up and to, effect, to make it more effective, not to divide it. And so the Corinthian church is really not a model church at all. Actually, Corinth was a pretty sick church. But the good news is that the Apostle Paul has a diagnosis and a remedy for the ailment for that church and others like it. And so today we're going to get our prescription filled, so to speak, and we're going to fill that prescription ourselves and take our first dose of prevention. Now, Paul compared the body of Christ, the universal church, church with a capital C, to the human body. Now, if you stand in front of the mirror and you look at your body, you notice that it's divided into major sections of the head and the torso. The head is the, is the control center of the body, and then the torso is the largest part and to which all these things are attached. Arms, legs, feet, hands, whatever. And the human body, when you think of it this way, will help you understand how the church is to function. Okay? Now, now listen. We, and I'm talking about believers here, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ... We are part of Christ. Each of us are members of Christ's body. Now that's an amazing statement. Let us sink in for a moment. We're all connected. We constitute the means by which He, Jesus, functions in the world. We are the manifestation of Christ to the world. Look at verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The church is a body with many members, and yet it's, it's one body. It's not many bodies. We're all connected and we share the same life. We are connected to the head so that we function as a means of obeying it and expressing his life to the world. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's the movement. We are Christ, the manifestation of Christ to the world. Now, every person in the body of Christ, every member, is designed in a unique way to manifest the Spirit of God that no one else can. You are unique. God has specially gifted you. And when the special grace of salvation mixes with the common grace of personhood, there is this unique manifestation of human life where the Spirit of God is made known. 
I spoke to someone just this past week, just this week, who said that before she came to believe in Jesus Christ, she went into this church. She was invited to this church. And the moment she walked into that church, she knew those people had something she desperately wanted. And that's the love of Christ. That's the love of Christ manifest in that body, the church. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's what we're all meant to be. Because this is our calling. We are to pursue the manifesting of Christ. And when we do, it happens for the common good. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The good of the people and the glory of God come together with faith in Christ. That's the church. So the first thing I want you to consider is this. The body was made to manifest Christ. I think you got it. That's the church. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's the movement to which we belong. Now, how do you become part of the body? You look at verses 12 and 13. Verse 12. For just as the body, and we're talking about the human body here, we're talking about your human body, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. We are all made to drink the one spirit. Now notice the words baptized and drink. It, makes you, it might recall John 7, 37 for some of us, where Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Baptism and drinking are both initiation experiences, and they take place at the same time. Spiritually speaking, this first figure is our baptism, where the Spirit places the believer into Christ. The second figure is the drinking. The Spirit comes into the Christian. Some have called this a Semitic parallelism, where both these clauses are essentially giving the same point. The Spirit not only surrounds us, but the Spirit also indwells and is inside of us. All that to say, understand, we are not born into Christ's body as infants. We are born again spiritually when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That he died for your sins and that he rose again from the dead? Paul explains in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. It's through faith in Christ he baptizes us into the Holy Spirit, and we become part of the living body of Christ. When somebody asks you, have you ever been baptized by the Spirit? Every Christian, every believer is to answer, yes, for we have all been baptized into one body. Jesus put it in a beautiful formula when he said something like this, John 17, 21, you and me, and I and you. You and me, and I and you. When the Spirit baptizes us, into the body of Christ, he puts us into Christ, and we drink and we live in and by his power in us. All I'd say, this is the church. That's what the church is. See, the church is not simply a group of religious people who gather together for mutually desired events, like picnics. <laughs> it's not a club. The church isn't made for you and for your pleasure. Matter of fact, it's not about you. It's not about me. 
or what you or I want from the church or what we get out of the church. Rather, the church is a group of people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same spirit, who are given gifts by that spirit, who are intended to function together to change the world by the power of God as the body of Christ manifest. That's the church. That's a movement. The body was made to manifest Christ to the world. And in Christ, you are part of it. But, but, point number two, it fails. The body falters. It stumbles when its members get sick with feelings of uselessness. It fails to fulfill the purpose. It fails to effectively be the manifestation of Christ to the world when its members get sick with feelings of uselessness, sick for whatever reason they convince themselves they're insignificant, they're inferior, they don't really have a place, there's nothing to offer, and they become merely moderate spectators. Many people in many churches have thought to themselves, and maybe even some of us in this church, I love coming to church. I love this place but I can't contribute anything. I mean, because I don't have any abilities. Others are so much more intelligent and talented and knowledgeable and experienced and gifted than I am. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. And Paul's diagnosis, he diagnoses this feeling of uselessness when he says in verses 15 and 16. Now look at this. Look at 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, Paul writes. And if the ear should say, oh, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So what's the ailment? What's the sickness? It's the feeling or the opinion that, you, that when you compare yourself to somebody else that you don't think that you measure up and you conclude because of that, I'm useless. I have no place. Paul quotes two samples of this ailment. In other words, if the foot should say, oh, I can't do all those things the hand does. Look at the hand. Everybody sees the hand. It's so flexible. It just works so well. And I'm really just down there, not really a part of the body. It nevertheless is an indispensable part of the body. You do belong. Same idea was given for the ear that compares himself to the other ear. This ear, that ear, I don't know, right ear, left ear, I hear better than you do. If you're a believer and you think that you are insignificant just because you can't preach or, or you can't lead worship, or you can't teach, or you can't pray like somebody else does, then you're deceiving yourself. Whether you feel qualified or not, you're still a part of the body you belong, and you're significant. But you have to shut your eyes. You have shut your eyes to the truth. You need to open them to be able to see what place God has for you to play. Because... There are no useless members. There are no insignificant members of the body. That's the point. The body was made to manifest Christ to the world, verses 12 and 13. But it fails when its members, uh, when, when it fails to fulfill its purpose when its members get sick with feelings of uselessness, verses 14 to 16. Now, the remedy... The remedy for uselessness is a healthy dose of 
truth, truth, truth. Three, to be exact, that are mentioned here. First of all, the first truth is to believe that you are useless is to believe a lie. To believe that you're useless to advancing God's purposes here on earth, I have no place, I don't belong, it's a lie. Twice, Paul writes, verse 15, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Again, verse 16, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You may feel that way about yourself, but it's not healthy. Neither is it true. As a matter of fact, it's a lie. And you know where lies come from? The enemy, Satan. And he will do anything, anything to derail the church of Jesus Christ from being the movement he has intended it for a bit to be. So please don't believe the lie. You do belong. You are significant. And you are valued as a perp- and have purpose in the body of Christ. There's no useless members in Christ's body. That's the first dose of truth. The second dose of truth is to remedy this feelings of uselessness that many of us have is that, number two, diversity is necessary for the body to be a body. Diversity is necessary in order for the body to be a body, verses 19 and 20. Without diversity, there is no body. The, the, the very existence of the body of Christ depends on diversity. The diversity that you are resisting when you compare yourself to others and you conclude that my differentness really is useless. That's a problem. Look at verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It wouldn't exist if there's no diversity. It wouldn't exist. And then again, verse 20, it says, As it is, there are many members, yet one body. So the point is that the very existence of the body depends on having diversity among its members. Member means a constituent part having a function of its own. So says Charles Hodge in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. A consistent part, a constituent part having a function of its own. You have a function in the body as a member. And it is necessary for you to function in the body as a member if the body is going to be a healthy manifestation of Christ to the world. The third dose of truth, probably the most important one of all, is here in verses 17 and 18. I'm going back to 17 and 18. If the whole body were an eye, verse 17, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? The picture Paul is painting here in our, in our minds is a very funny-looking body, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, it isn't a, a body at all. It's, a, it's an eyeclops or an earclops or something. You know, it's a ridiculous body uh, because it would, there wouldn't be any diversity to it. It's all the same thing. What if you had a girlfriend and uh, you were going to take her, take her out and she was just one big blue eye? Beautiful big blue eye. <laughs> Imagine you took her on a date and you propped her on the, uh, on, 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 at, the, at the diner and you put her on the other side in the booth and you propped her then and you began talking to her, trying to have a conversation with her. All she did was just stare at you with her big, beautiful blue eye and blink once in a while. I mean, it's, it's pretty creepy, really. <laughs> Paul's point is that we all have different members in the body. But I can still hear the person who says something like, I didn't say I wanted the whole body to be an eye. 
I didn't say I wanted the whole body to be an ear. I, I just don't like being what I am. I just wish I was something different. So now Paul gives the most important remedy in verse 18. As it is, you got to underline this in your Bibles. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. NIV says, just as he wanted them to be. New American Standard says, just as he desired. New King James says, just as he pleased. God did it. The third dose of truth to remedy feelings of uselessness is trusting that God is sovereign and he's designing all the parts of the body so that it does its very best, has your best interest in mind and has the body's best interest in mind to be the best manifestation of Jesus to the world. You aren't here by chance. You aren't here by mistake. You are here because in the sovereignty, will of God, he has placed you here. You have a purpose. If you say you're useless, that you're insignificant, that you don't have a place, that you really have nothing to offer, you are not only saying no to the idea of the body, but you're also saying no to God, that I don't trust you. I don't trust him. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. And that includes you and me. The reason many conclude that they are insignificant to the work of the church is because we have the wrong idea what the work of the church is. Today, many who are churchgoers, they conclude that the reason the church exists is to gather for one great, big, beautiful service on Sunday mornings. That's the church. The reason many conclude that they are insignificant is that that they don't understand. That's not the work of the church. That's a part of it. That's a piece of it. And when they do, they look at that and they say, wow, look at those people on the platform. Look what they do. You know, oh, I can't do those things. I can't play an instrument. I can't beat on the drums. I can't make any sense of it. I can't speak into a microphone. I can't sing. I do okay in the shower, but I can't sing otherwise. And all those, you conclude, I have no part in the body of Christ. I have no part in the church with a capital C. The Sunday morning service is not the extent of the church's purpose. The work of the church is the work of Jesus. The work of the church is the work of Jesus. To heal the brokenhearted, to deliver the captives, to open the blinds and open the blind and the eyes that they may see, to preach the good news to the poor and to the despairing. That's the work of the church. The work of the church is to encourage and strengthen and deliver through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that work doesn't take place inside only on a church building. It goes on outside the walls of the church building. What happens inside the walls of the church is merely the, the training program for all of us. That we come here to be equipped, equipped in the word, equipped to be able to, to work in the church, to go out there where Jesus was. That's where Jesus was. He wasn't so much here. He was there. And that's where we need to be. There are many services to be done in the work of the church. Don't get me wrong. And some are right here on a Sunday morning. Yes. But the majority of the work is to be done right where you live. 
That's the work of Jesus in the world. The church is Christ at work in the world, and it requires every member of Christ's body doing the job they were called to do. Frederick Buchner, a preacher, once wrote, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. See, ask yourself, what's what's the passion that God has given me to serve in the world? Figure out what it is and do it. Pastor Kirby and Caldwell at one of the Willow Creek uh, Leadership Conferences once said, there are two great moments in a person's life, the moment they were born and the moment you realize why you were born. It's putting others first before yourself because that's what Jesus did. <laughs> there was a mother who was preparing pancake breakfast for two little boys, Kevin and Ryan, and they were starting to argue as to who was going to get the first blueberry pancake from mom. And mom heard this discussion going on, so she said, thought this would be a perfect lesson to give a little moral teaching. And so she said, she said, now boys, now boys, hold on a minute. Let me tell you this. If Jesus were here, if he were sitting here with you right now, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. So the two boys sat there for a minute. Finally, the five-year-old Kevin, he turned to his little brother and he said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> Don't you love it? Don't you love it? Oh, there's a good one. Zing! And we're no different. We live in a me generation. Me, me, me. Our staff has pondered how we grow as disciples in Jesus? How do we overcome this me-ism? And we've come up with three very simple words that we throw around once in a while to capture our one spiritual pilgrimage. And they all start with someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. A new believer believing in Jesus thinks it's all about me. I mean, look, Jesus saved me. And Jesus loves me. And and, then I want, I know God wants the very best for me. And, and, and I know that this is going to be a great place for me. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's, it's normal. It's understood. That's where infants start. Become as you are, but don't stay as you are. Because as we grow in God, as we read the Word, as we seek to obey Him, as we begin to realize it's, it's bigger than just me, this movement that God has called me to place me in the church to be in the world is not just about me, it's about we. Namely, the church, the family of God, people coming together to share faith and life on life and, and come together and study the word and help and encourage and lift each other up, pray for each other. That's what they're there for. It's all about relationship. We is all about life on life, lifting each other up, learning to love one another. But then that circle widens even further as we further mature in Christ. It begins with me. It grows to be all about we. But it goes beyond that. The circle widens more fully when we understand the very heart of God, the very heart of Jesus. He came not just for me. He didn't come just for us. He came for them. The me and the we and the they, he came for them. And his command is to love others as Jesus has loved us, and to put others first. 
And that's the movement to which we're called in the world. Since growing up in our church, God has led Brian outside these walls, outside here, expanding his vision, his vision for mission and for the movement of God in the world. He's had a long, he has been longing for belonging to figure out what God is doing and how he can use him and how he's orchestrated uh, the church. And so I asked Brian to come up here and to speak from his heart again, just for a few moments, to tell you a little bit about his spiritual pilgrimage and how he's come to that place to see God in a, in a different way, how God has moved him through the me, the we, and the they. And who knows, maybe today God is moving one of you, one of us, in the same way. Brian? Yeah, thank you, Jay. Um, let's just take a moment. I only have a couple minutes here. But, you know, coming back to one's hometown, I just remember... And imagine, you know, listening to me, just think of me like one of you. Like, I sat in that place. My family um, started attending First Baptist Church. We made the long move from Langhorne to Newtown, you know, when <laughs> I was 12 years old. And, um, you know, First Baptist became Grace Point. And uh, when I was thinking about the influence that this church has had in my life and how it's directed me in my spiritual formation, it's... It's been quite remarkable. And, um, and I kind of probably was thinking about summarizing it in three ways. One is, I just want to encourage you, take advantage of the opportunities that Grace Point has for you to be together. Scripture says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and spur each other on. So I grew up in a Christian home with two wonderful parents who took my brother and I to church every Sunday. And we had the influence of, of uh, corporate worship and the preaching of God's word just in, on us all the time. We participated in the youth ministry. And in all of that, like the one way to summarize the church is like, you know, working on building friendships, life-giving, grace-filled friendships with one another, and then together working on our personal relationships with God. And I think that that happens when we don't give up meeting together. And, uh, I, you know, when that happens, also, like, there's something that starts to happen within our hearts, and I felt this. It's just our hearts start to bend to care about the things that God cares about. And one of those things is each other, right? So it's not just coming, but then, you know, you, in, in the course of my, of my life growing up here, I was encouraged, you know, by the adults here, you know, to get involved. And I'm sure if you talk to some of the folks who've been around here a while, there's some embarrassing photographs of me and uh, volunteering in VBS. I don't know what it was, but, you know, whenever there was a role that involved drying up, uh, dressing up in a giant costume of some sort, somehow I got the, the phone call. So, you know, giant bunny rabbit and a, a, I think a gorilla one time. I don't, maybe it was my spiritual gift. I don't know if that's a 1 Corinthians 12 piece. But, but, you know, like sometimes we get asked to do silly things. We find ourselves, the Lord has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives, as Scripture says, and he saves us for a purpose, to go and make a difference in one of each another's lives. And then our hearts start to, start to break, and you can't read the Scriptures and see that God cares for the most vulnerable in this world. The poor, the hurting. And, you know, we have that in our own midst, and we have an opportunity to care for one another that way, but then we realize that 
we have that all around us, right? And the church here, and I know they still do uh, in different ways now than they did then, but when I was growing up, we had a, I remember a really great relationship with a local church in North Philadelphia, a Spanish-speaking neighborhood in North Philadelphia, and our churches did things together. And as a young person going down in North Philly and spending time on the streets and worshiping with them and getting to know them, right, like we start to see that life is different than it is in Bucks County, and you, you know it, but when you experience it, when you build like friendships with folks that live in different contexts that are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you realize that God's picture of what the church is is way different than we thought. Suddenly, though, you get asked to do things when you open yourself to that. You get asked to do things even in those contexts, and suddenly I'm you know, knocking on doors, inviting neighbors out to their evangelism events and standing on street corners with drug dealers and and I, I don't know that my parents knew that that's what we were doing but we were there right uh, under the leadership of uh, of pastor Luis Centeno as he shared the gospel on the street corners and take advantage of those opportunities I know that there's one simple way to do that has been sponsoring children in Bolivia you know engaging in a a personal, life-changing, cross-cultural relationship with a child that attends a small church, Unidos in Cristo, in another country, right? That's such a small, simple way. But then you can go beyond that because I know I heard the stories about the group that went down, you know, and their experiences, and they came back. And then there's a third thing I think that happens in our hearts is what we realize is that there's people all around us in our own communities that we weren't even thinking about who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus and experience his love. Over time, I, I came to know there were some statistics that were thrown. There's 620,000 people who live in Bucks County. Um, you know, this was about, this statistic's about 10 years old, but fewer than 20,000 are in gospel-centered churches on Sunday morning. All I know is when I got up in the morning and drove to church, my neighbors weren't getting up, right? That passes the eye test. And God cares about them. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. And so there's opportunities. We had them when I was growing up here. We have them when I was an adult here. Not only just to invite others into the life-giving relationships that we have existing right here. Bible studies and small groups and any event with food that you're doing, right? And so I encourage you to participate in those things because it changes your heart and God breaks your heart as you grow closer to him and he leads you to care about those who are around you who desperately need to know who he is. My family moved down to um, uh, the Ocean City area of uh, Maryland. You know, it's, that's rough, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we were invited by some uh, local church members then to join them for a, a bonfire on the beach at, uh, in Assateague Island. And so there I'm talking to the pastor. And the pastor said, yeah, you know what? A few weeks ago we did a bonfire like this. And I got to tell you the story. I said, what? Well, pastor, what happened? He said, well, there were some girls, some of our girls were playing in the water and they got caught in a riptide and got sucked out. And I saw it and our worship leader saw it and we ran to the shore 
And I told him to go get the surfboard and I jumped in and I swam out. This is not me, but the pastor sharing the story. He said, I swam out and I swam to the first girl and I pulled her over to the second girl and I didn't know if I was going to make it because I suddenly realized that I wasn't as strong as I thought I was, you know. But the worship leader struck, grabbed the surfboard and he brought it out to us and we wrestled with the swimming and the children and got on the board and brought everyone back to shore safely and exhausted. And he said, I didn't notice something. The church members were around the bonfire with the guitar singing worship songs and they didn't even notice the whole thing took place. And it just, he said, it just dawned on me. How often do our churches come together and are involved in Sunday morning worship and we don't even know that the people around us are spiritually drowning and they desperately need to know about God's love. And you, God, has sent you and appointed you to be the messengers of that love to them. And we'll do it in different ways because we're all different parts of the spiritual body. We have different skills and abilities, but, you know, this is part of the great mission that Jesus called us to go and make disciples of all nations and in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And uh, you guys are a part of it. And so I encourage you to take advantage of the things that Grace Point has to offer. The togetherness, but also the encouraging to go out and to share that love with others. The more you invest in one another, the more you invest in God, he doesn't disappoint. And my life is a testimony to that. Thanks, Brian. You can take that with you. All I have to say, there are no useless members in Christ's body. There aren't. God is not mistaken in how he has gifted you for service. You are a member. You belong. You were born into Christ's family through faith, into the family of God, and he's given you a gift to be used for the common good, for the effectively manifesting Christ to the world. So don't be a moderate Christian. Come as you are. Don't stay as you are. Grow in the love of God and serving Him, serving people, serving with the grace that He's given you. I'll just leave you with a question. Where is God leading you to serve Him? Let's pray. Father, may we, may we not live the lie or believe the lie that we have nothing to offer you. <laughs> May we in faith believe that you have gifted us, each one individually with a useful gift that's necessary for the body of Christ. Move us beyond our feelings of insignificance and expand our vision to see the movement of God that he's called each of us to, to serve. And increase our love for the lost, our passion for service to be your hands to be your feet to manifest your love to the lost world outside these walls that you came to, to, to deliver. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.